Hello and welcome to Bluebells Forever, a podcast with interviews of Bluebell dancers past and present. Join Sherry Lewis, a Bluebell herself, as she leads us on a journey through story and experience. And now here's Sherry. Okay, so Athena, I am really excited to get to do this again. And there's so many crisscrosses in our connection. First, when I found out that you had a podcast, because we both interviewed um, Pete Menifee and Lindsay Raven, and I'm like, there's somebody else doing this, which then lent us this opportunity to cross interview each other, which was so much fun. And I think it, I can't say favorite because I don't want her to base feelings, <laughs> but there was this wonderful, because no one was really leading or following. We just had this wonderful dance of discussion and we, we talked about hard things. Like we talked about abuse and uh, ends of careers and motherhood. And there, there were so many things that felt really rich without feeling like sensationalized. It was just conversations that felt really comfortable so then I'm all excited because I went, oh, that's right, you were at the reunion and didn't put this together at all that you were at the reunion in Paris for all the bluebells. And then I'm looking at the video that somebody posted at the anniversary and I'm like, that's that girl. I got to interview. She was so good. Like she was living on that stage. She's beautiful. And then somebody tagged you and went, that's Athena. <laughs> because when we did our interview, we didn't have um, video. And also with your makeup, I, I was like, oh my gosh, she's a total diva. And I've already talked to her. <laughs> and I felt like the connection felt more and more fun. So we were both bluebells. We both have podcasts about showgirls. Mm -hmm. And what I loved in her interview was that there's not a competition because I think both, both of us could feel like, oh crap. <laughs> but there was something of celebrating. There's so many stories to tell and different angles. And I listened to every one of yours and it brings me joy to know that there's more stories that can be told from different angles, from different people, and it just gives more opportunity. And I love that you have music interludes and you have this fancy and your logo is fancy and mine's playing, but we have a different way. One thing we have in common is how much we say, wow. I don't know if you noticed that. Like when I listen to them, I'm like, I think I said, wow, 12 times. And I listened to you and it's a very big wow. But it made me laugh. Like, well, what else are we going to say? We're doing these great stories of so many wow things. I'm like, I can't think of another word. So I'm not going to apologize. And it makes me happy that that's also a common denominator is the wow factor. So I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled to get to talk to you again. And so I get to just interview you this time and let you be the star. Um, and I love that you're in your closet. It's your sound recording and there's feathers and there's ruffles and there's sequins. And that just feels like the most perfect backdrop for you. So this is, I want to make sure I say your last name. So I'm going to have you say it right. Cause I can't re look at it up right now. Like what, how do you pronounce your last name? Pataxel. Pataxel. Mm -hmm. Now you also say Athena, but then you said also known as Grizilla. Godzilla, not Grizilla. <laughs> and if you want to share that or not, yeah, one's a grizzly bear. Now, so can you just say a little about your podcast? Um, new thing and how you got there and and what you're getting out of it and then we'll just kind of go back more into your own story as a dancer but the podcast link might be a fun place to start yeah sure uh so my married name is Pataxel. i am divorced from that man but we had children together i want to have the same last name so my uh stage name was athena mejia um oh. and uh, gazella is actually the name of the alter ego that i 
embodied on stage. I, she didn't have a name until I did burlesque. So I can get into that whole story, but um, I came out of the burlesque world for various reasons. Um, and uh, I went in for various reasons, which I'll talk about, but um, I was trying to find my way in, uh, what is my legacy? What am I, what am I leaving this planet with? You know? And so I started the, the website Showgirls Life. And um, I was like, you know, I really want to do a podcast, but I don't know. I don't have enough stories to do that. So I'll just leave that out there and see what happens. And then of course the reunion happened and we both were inspired by the reunion. And um uh, yeah, I, I was like, when I got back, I was like, I have to do this. I have to figure this out. And um, my dream interview, I asked her back in, I believe, January, and she declined. And uh, I was really sad. <laughs> it actually knocked me down uh, to the point where I almost didn't start the podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was, uh, it was right, right before COVID, of course, right? So um I was like, okay, uh, it's not time. I just like, okay, maybe it's not time. If that hurt me so much just to hear one no, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't do this. So uh, a few months pass, you know, we're, you know, elbow deep, whatever, <laughs> nose deep in, in, uh, in the COVID. And uh, I, I do uh, grocery shopping for uh, people. So it's been a very, very busy year for me. And I've been helping out so many people. And it's been lovely to touch people's lives in that way. Um, but then my daughter, she uh, will be 15 this year. She said she started a podcast. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> oh, how? I don't even know how to start a podcast and I've been researching it. Like there's all, there's websites, there's courses, there's all these people that have businesses based on how to, how to do your own podcast. It's like, how do you, she goes, I just downloaded this app and I just uploaded, I just did a, and I was like, all right, that's it. And this was in, I think late April, early May. And I was like, I looked at myself like inside and I said, look, dude, if your daughter can start a podcast, right. you better get your shit together. Sorry. I don't know if I can guess. Sorry. Oh, absolutely. Fuck okay. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I, I just asked you. Um, no, that's fine. So I'm like, get your shit, pull yourself together. Hello. Your daughter started a podcast. Get your shit together and you get yourself out there. So I just started just reaching out and the first woman that I reached out to said yes. And then that was uh, my first guest, Eileen Ryans. And of course she's a person of color. So I was extremely excited about it. And I, it was, um, I had, I'd reached out to her, I think right around when BLM just blew up and um, mm -hmm. it was right after uh, George Floyd had, had been killed and all the riots were getting ready to start. And um, I, uh, I was like, you know what, I'm going to reach out to her and I'm just going to ask her because we had a connection and um, she was there at the time where I actually, um, I, I segmented my people that I want to talk to simply because I know that a lot changed when the corporate, the corporations took over. And even after I left the show, it, it was very different. And it's, it, you know, I look at some of, like you said, my bevel is different. The way I walk is different. You know, it just kind of progressed and you know, I, I feel like some now some showgirls are more sexualized than they were probably when you were dancing. And, mm. uh, you know, it's, you know, things have changed. So I've, I've segmented my, and she was there. She was there uh, in the late 80s um, in Jubilee. And so um, 
she she watched all that change and she stayed there for almost 10 and a half years I think so it was yeah it was lovely to have that conversation with her and because I knew her I danced with her and then I was like you know what I'm gonna so expand the little segment a little bit and I'll, I'll reach out to people I know that I want to talk to um, that, you know, are friends of mine. So then I started reaching out to some of the bluebells that I met at the reunion. So it's kind of been like this beautiful, like mix of, I don't want to use the word old. <laughs> seasoned. So seasoned. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I have so much respect for you ladies that, that paved the way for us, like so much reverence and respect and just, it's such a beautiful thing that you did before I came along. And then I was able to, you know, kind of pass that on to the next group of girls. I was, um, I taught some understudies. So that was a little, that was a lot of fun before I left. Um, you know, just, it's passing the torch, you know, mm. it's a beautiful thing. So I've had that nice mix and you getting, um, you know, I had Pete Menifee. I uh, interviewed Donna London. Her episode is going to come out the uh, end of the month, uh, October, sorry, uh, Halloween, because costumes, you know. <laughs> um, and so I've just been like, just reaching out to people like, oh, they would have a really interesting, you know, uh, perspective of the showgirl. And I want, I want them who weren't in the show. So a librarian, her episode comes out next week. So she's, yeah, she's part of the special collections at UNLV. She, she archives the showgirl <sighs> for us. Yeah. So like you were saying in our pre-talk, you know, we have um, Grant Filippo that has the Las Vegas Showgirl Museum. We have Karen Fetter at the Nevada State Museum. Um, you're doing your podcast. I'm doing my podcast. Like there are people out here that are doing this work to help preserve. Um, Luann is doing the, the Showgirl legacy and bringing art into it, which is really, really cool because yeah. I really believe that to be a showgirl and to embody that is an art there is an art to it and we all learned we all navigated through it and um it's just a beautiful thing i think that just needs to be preserved and shared with the world so that's that, okay i got a little bit of goosebump there so when you think of what your intention when you started and what you're doing does it did you have things go oh i didn't know this was where i made what actually the reason i might be doing it was there any surprises of what you set out to do and what you're actually experiencing by telling these stories and putting it together and all the work that goes into it, but has it shifted a little bit or have you, have you maybe been surprised? Yeah. Um, I think we touched on it a little bit during our, our dual interview or however you want to call it. <laughs> Last amazing chat. Um, I was surprised by the deep connection that I'm, I'm um, creating or, or making with people from generations before me. And, and when I say it's not the regular generation, like the ages, it's like there was the corporate showgirls that were the last girls. And then there was kind of like my group that was like kind of corporate, but kind of not. And then there was like the mob showgirls and, you know, like they, they were the ones. So we all have different um, perspectives. And I, I've just been eager to hear all these stories because I just love, I'm like, I'm like a, like a fangirl. I'm like, oh my God, that's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> like you said, we have that commonality. Wow. And wow. I noticed it. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to make a board and it's going to have uh, different uh, words like amazing and wow and uh, thrilling. And uh, yeah, I, I, my <laughs> vocabulary on the wow. <laughs> you know what? I think we should make it a drinking game. 
when we both launch one, uh, you have to take a shot every time we say, wow. And if you listen to them back to back, they're going to be just smashed. But it's like, I kind of went, no, that just feels like I can't, there's no other word. But it just, yeah, we're, we're, we lived a wow life and we're listening to wow stories and to just go, mm, that's nice. Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't do justice to some of the lives that people have lived and their experiences that, you know, even, even if you live that life, it's wow. It's the, the, the people who never, you know, experience that it's probably double wow. Even if so you're in your closet right now and there's yeah. ruffles and feathers and you said something about dress up box. So I, I would love to know, like, what kind of kid were you? Like, I, I know like we talked a little bit like childhood, we're not perfect probably for any of us, but like how arts can be an escape and it can be a, um, something to grow that part of us that, that isn't going to be nurtured any other way. Uh, what were you like? And if, if costume boxes weren't part of that, I won't lead you anywhere, but they are now, it looks like when you were just telling some other part, and we'll get to about the feather parties, but I'm just curious what kind of little girl you were. Um, so I was the, the light in the world. I was, uh, the one, um, doing tourjetés and chenets and turns and waltzing through the grocery store shopping for groceries with my mom. I was her light and I uplifted everyone I came into contact with, with my smile, with my demeanor. I was the one that, um, and I wasn't doing it to perform. I was just doing it because it just naturally occurred to me to be that uplifter. Hmm. And so um, my parents had a dance studio. Um, I believe, let's see, we started at a different uh, dance studio and my mom taught at that studio for the first um, few years of my life. My, I still am in contact with a, a woman who we started on the little rug carpet at three years old doing butterflies at that studio. And uh, huh. She's, she now lives in, in Minnesota and she's a, a pharmacist. <laughs> so she went a whole different path. Um, but we danced together all the way, almost all the way through high school. Um, my, when my mom left that studio, that girl ended up coming along with my mom. And um, she just grew this little mini empire in Aurora, Colorado, Center Stage Dance Company. Um, and she would, she, you wanted the best teachers. You know, she had, uh, it was two daughters at the time. I have three sisters now, um, but she just, you know, grew this empire. And I think I started competing. Oh, I want to say I was like six years old. <laughs> so I did jazz, tap, ballet. We did tumbling. We didn't do like uh, gymnastics, uh, it was tumbling. So it wasn't like, I never actually learned to do an aerial, even though at the time when I was competing, aerials were the trick you needed to learn in order to win the first place trophy. Right. Um, yeah, I was terrified. I, I have a fear of heights and falling. So uh, aerials never came easy to me. <laughs> I can do a back walkover off of a chair, but oh I can't. wow, that sounds scary! Yeah. I have a, I have a fun I have a fun video. I actually have a video of me falling off of that chair, and this was a, a number that I put together with my love just a few years ago for a burlesque act. Yeah, a back walkover over off of a chair. Yeah. <laughs> oh wow! I had a I was videotaping my um not my audition my uh, rehearsal, and I landed basically whiplash my neck, and I was alone. <laughs> oh my gosh! That's <laughs> a, yeah. That's yeah, so to the younger generations, don't ever do any kind of tricks without help present, okay? Right. <laughs> I learned, yeah, I was old. I was yeah, 39 when I, no, 37, 38. 
I don't know, something like that. When I realized, oh crap, I shouldn't be doing uh, tricks without a spotter. Thanks. <laughs> right. Cause like, I've had things like how long before someone finds my body? Like if I do something, if I live alone, if I do that, there's no one. Yeah. My phone is in the other room. So if you're going to do tricks, have your phone on you. If you have to call 911. Yep. Nope. My phone was <sighs> the whole thing. So I still have that video. Maybe I'll post okay. it. Like, I'll to share. It'll go viral. <laughs> Don't ever do right. this. <laughs> Children pay attention. But that, that uh, movement did make it into the act. I just had it, I had to rig the chair so that it wouldn't do um, slip, which is what happened. I, yeah, it wasn't that I wasn't strong enough. It was that the chair slipped and my, my balance was, yeah. So anyway, <laughs> um, so yeah, I did all the dancing. Uh, and when I was um, 11, I started to really get into dance, like really like wanting to dance. And that's how I expressed myself. So um, yeah, my childhood wasn't easy. I'll just say that nicely. Um, and dance became the escape. Dance became the way of expressing myself. And the, I was doing, it was called lyrical modern at the time. Now it's called contemporary dance. Mm -hmm. um, that was how I emoted. My brother, um, I had a brother who was born and he was born with a heart defect. I was 10 years old and he died three months old. Um, so they tried to do the, the, there's a surgery this doctor created to rebuild his heart. So I was 10 years old when my, my brother died. And when I was 11, I did my very first uh, lyrical solo and I won first place. And um, it was to a Michael Jackson song called Gone Too Soon. He made that song for oh. me. Mm -hmm. Yeah beautiful beautiful number my mom choreographed we had this beautiful white dress made it was just it was lovely and that was when my dance that's when I was like I'm going to be a dancer and we kept bringing in all the, the the best teachers for special workshops and then um they kept saying you need to get her into ballet more and more ballet more and more ballet and when I was 14 I was enchanted by ballet and I was like I'm going to be a prima ballerina you know when you're 14 that's kind of the decision you make right and what are <laughs> and your I options yeah, I was rail thin. Um, I hated hip hop. <laughs> I can't get low to the ground like my other <laughs> sisters. I, I, I'm just like uppity. And, you know, that's that, you know, just uh, going the path that I took was perfect for me. Um, with my stature, uh, I hit, um, let's see, when I was 14, I started really focusing on ballet and I joined uh, a region was a small regional company here in Denver, um, as an apprentice uh, with my teacher. And, um, she had a small group of girls that she was basically growing to, um, you know, send them off into the ballet world. And, uh, I won several scholarships, um, under her study. It just, I just went straight into ballet. I stopped doing every other type of dance, even the lyrical, because I was like, I'm going to be a ballerina. I don't need that contemporary jazz, nothing. I don't need any of that. So, um, I got, I won first place in the ballet guild here in Denver and uh, got a scholarship to study. Um, I think I, I won $1,500 and that was just enough to cover the tuition for a summer program in Minnesota, which is where I met all of the Russian teachers that I love. Um, and that same year, I won a full scholarship to study at the Bolshoi Ballet in Vail. They had a summer program there. Wow. And wow. so I went to two summer programs that year. And uh, at the end of the the summer, um, they were at the Bolshoi and Vail. They were supposed to choose a boy and a girl to go study for the fall semester in Russia, in Moscow with the Bolshoi Ballet. They didn't choose anybody. 
And I was upset because I wanted it so bad. <laughs> I was like, I am that person. They have to send me. And uh, they didn't choose. So I was pretty disappointed. And I started my regular year in, um, in high school. That was my first year of high school. And um, no, sorry, it was my second year. I went back as a sophomore. And uh, so I was 15. And um, in November or December, the woman from the Vale said, Sofia Golovkina wants Athena to study in Russia in January. And I was like, oh, wow. Yes! <laughs> so um, it was a whirlwind. My mom and dad had to buy me a ticket to Moscow, Russia, solo. And uh, you flew to Russia by yourself? Mm -hmm. That's not a little flight. Oh, my gosh. Yep, no. Um, I had never been out of the country in my life by myself. Um, I'd gone to Mexico with my family, just uh, visiting family because my dad's from Mexico. Um, so then they also had to get me a passport. <laughs> so we had the expedited, you know, we had to get it in three weeks or whatever. I mean, it was, it was so fast. It happened so fast. And the only thing, the only reason I think my parents let me go and I say, let me go is because my teacher was like, she needs this. If she wants to be a prima ballerina, she needs to go. And so they, they let me go. And um, well, it was, it was rough and I was, I was fine to be there because I had done the summer programs for a couple of years. So I was without them for a month. So by the second month, it got kind of weird and this was way before technology. So there was no computers or anything. This is 1996. So, um, there were no computers. There were no, there was no Facebook, no messaging, anything like that. The only way I could talk to them was on the phone. And I knew that the, the phones were all being tapped and, you know, they, they were spying on me all <laughs> the whole time. So it was a rough time, um, yeah. because I hit puberty and, uh, my teacher was Sophia Golovkin. I was 16 years old in the 18 year old, uh, class. So the graduating class, I was taking class with the, the uppest, the highest level, uh, dancers and um, I hit puberty. I gained 20 pounds in a month and I grew probably an inch. So I was no longer five foot seven, 107 pounds. I was like five foot eight, um, 127 pounds. Yeah. I didn't know what kilograms were. I didn't know how to make the, 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 uh, the conversion at the time. So when they weighed me, they were weighing everybody. <laughs> yeah. We had our weight talk. Yeah. We had our weight talk when they weighed me. I was like 52 or 54 kilograms. I don't know if that translates, but I came back and I was 127 pounds. Plus I had C-cup boobs. I didn't go there with a bra at all. <laughs> so my oh mom my had me a freaking bra. <laughs> yeah. That's was, a big growth spurt. And what a where, what a place. Did you go by yourself as the only American? Were yes. you coming? So you weren't coming in with other people your age that are going to bond. It was you in Russia going through puberty Oh my gosh. I'm imagining the language uh, is yep. going to be a bit of a barrier yep. and not being able to check home. Wow. It feels yeah. lonely. I don't know how it was for you, but it just seems lonely. Yep. Yep. So when I was there, my sister did a lyrical number called um, Stranger in Moscow. It was another Michael Jackson song. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly how I felt because no one spoke English. Even my teacher that was supposed to be teaching me Russian, <laughs> she only spoke French and Russian. So it was a really difficult time to try to uh, learn the language. I did learn the alphabet so I could read Russian, but I didn't know what I was reading. Even though I could read and, and uh, sound out the letters, the, the characters, I couldn't like, you know, what is, I know chuchut means little, 
little, little, um, but it was, it was difficult uh, to say the least. And, um, you know, being alone, feeling alone at that time in your life. Yeah. And even though I did feel alone, I wasn't scared. Um, oh. I wasn't scared to be there. It was like, it just felt like it was something I had to go through. I don't know how else to describe it, but um, after, you know, my teacher calling me fat in front of the whole rest of the class, um, I think I was only there for another three, three or four weeks. She went to Korea for a few weeks and came back and she was like, Athena, what is the matter? You're fat in front of the whole class, right in the middle of plies or condos or something. And I was like, what is she talking about? I've never been told that. So it, I went down that, that path for a little bit of like, you know, second guessing my body and, and what, what it do, am, am I really fat? And we, we, we had that, that weight conversation. Yeah. Our, our last so it, it's tough. I mean, it really, um, it tore me down really, really yeah. low. And when I came back, I was a lot fluffier than the girls in my class who were with my teacher. And I came back and I was suffering this great depression. I had no idea I was depressed, but mm. I couldn't, that light that I was talking about, you know, doing the tourchetes and, and dancing through the store, that was gone. It was, mm. it was gone. And I think I've been trying to find it that since then. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what did it do to your experience of dancing? I think, you know, this is definitely stricter and like you're getting the weight things and loneliness mm -hmm. and puberty all at the same time. What happened to your love of dance or did you keep it or did it change? It feels like it's a strange place to foster something so beautiful. Yeah, it was really interesting. And I, I'm still trying to unpack that as an adult, but I think that I felt an obligation to stay in dance because my parents had invested so much money, so much time, their whole business was built around my career. And um, so there was that, that yeah. heaviness as yeah. part of that. So I continued and my teacher helped me, uh, you know, learn some nutrition. Cause I mean, I come from a family that's, uh, my mom is white, but Mexican and there's food everywhere, delicious food and high carb food. So I had to <laughs> learn how to eat better. And, you know, my teacher helped with that. A lot of the girls that um, I danced with at the time helped with that. And uh, I was, you know, after high school, I, I, I did a year and a half um, home study, uh, homeschooling so that I could do the, the trip to Russia. But then I went back for the senior year to do the prom and all of those uh, experiences um, and reintegrate into society. <laughs> How, how was that though, too? Because like, that's, that's an interesting thing to be gone from your friends and all the things you miss and have such a different life and then just step back in. It was really weird um, because uh, you probably experienced it coming back from the reunion, the culture shock. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh. You want to share all this and everybody's like, huh? And I, I mean, I was just like, everyone's looking each other in the eye in Paris saying bonjour. And I was like, you know, it's different there. And it's yeah. the same thing oh, and yeah. coming back from that, even though I was in the dorms, everyone, they, there were some Japanese girls that I made really good friends with and some Korean girls and they spoke English. So that was like broken English, but we could communicate and hang out. So that was fun. Um, but the culture was so different. So I had culture shock coming back. Um, and you know, then the depression and, uh, I don't know. I managed to kind of crawl out of it enough in that next year and a half 
before I had to go start auditioning for jobs, for ballet jobs. And I was like, I'm just going to keep going and see how this goes. Because I didn't want to go to college. I was like, no, I hate school. <laughs> I mean, I love being a student, but school sucks. Um, yeah. I'm a, a, life, a lifelong student, so I'll keep learning. But in a tradition, excuse me, in a traditional, no, yeah. 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 Oh. So um, I, that's why I auditioned for ballet companies. I, and it was, I was too tall. And my teacher said, we're, we're just going to have to keep sending videos and see what happens. And so ABT, um, we did Tulsa, Miami City Ballet, uh, uh, Sarasota Ballet, uh, San Francisco Ballet, um, P uh, Pacific Northwest Ballet, I did audition for, but I don't have the banana feet that they want. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They got the tall ones. ones. But no banana feet. I don't have, oh. I don't mine are pretty, they're, they're nice. They're not just like the broken banana feet. So um, I got a call from Nevada Ballet Theater and uh, they said, we want you to come audition. So I did and they offered me a job and I was like, all right, I'm moving to Vegas. <laughs> 18 years old. I didn't even have a driver's license yet. I had to get my driver's license, learn to drive in two weeks before I moved. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yep. It's kind of like your trip to Russia, expedite, yep. let's just go. Oh my gosh. I think maybe that's why I just work better under pressure. So I like, I have to set insane deadlines for myself to get the, the motivation to like, just do. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, um, that's, that's how I went to Vegas. And, uh, and again, not knowing anyone and just set off on your own. Did you, how long did you do the company or the like yeah. apprenticeship? Okay. Yeah, it was the In professional company. company. Yep. Yep. So they offered me a contract. I was paid $250 a week and I was rehearsing 40 hours a week, pretty much. Oh wow. <laughs> and I could do like five shows. <laughs> Can you imagine? <laughs> oh my gosh. So I, I say ballerinas, while they are so beautiful and uh, such athletes and they are artists, um, they're not performers. Like they, like yeah. professional performers, they are professional rehearsers. It's really sad. It's, it's, oh, so yeah. they're, they're beautiful. They're be I love, I still love watching the ballet and I will support as many ballerinas as I can to, you know, just watch and, you know, that's how I can be a patron to their art. Um, but I'm a performer and mm. that, that, the heart that I lay on the stage when I was doing all of the lyrical dance and the emoting, like, yeah. that, that's what I do. And I can't, I couldn't do that in the ballet company because I was in the court of ballet. And, uh, Which is very strange. So when you're living in Vegas, had you seen those type of shows before? I don't, like when you were there, I'm not sure what was even left. I feel like Jubilee plus maybe one or two are yeah, still in existence. Um, let's see, I, get, I got there in 97. So it was Jubilee and Follies for sure. I believe Enter the Night was still there and Splash and Crazy Girls, mm. but I don't. I don't consider Crazy Girls a showgirl show. Um, I had never seen it either. So uh, I hadn't seen any other production shows. And so I had no idea. I knew that there were shows on the strip. But you weren't, you weren't checking any of that out. That was not an interest or a... Also, if you're from the ballet world, that's like... Sometimes. <laughs> there was some snobbery involved. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I just did a, an interview for a different podcast. And uh, he was asking, why, well, why did you not want to become a showgirl? Um, cause basically I didn't want to become a showgirl, but the old, uh, one of the, he was a principal dancer at the ballet company and he left to go join Jubilee and he came to company class. His wife was still a ballerina. They're both Russian. He came to class. He said, you need to go. 
they're auditioning tomorrow. They are going to love you. Go. And I'm like, why do I want to be a, a showgirl? And um, because there was that kind of um, that stigma of selling out. That's what yeah, the yeah. ballet world thought we were selling out. And uh, so I was, I was terrified. I didn't want my ballet friends to think I was a sellout. Right. So um, I still went, <laughs> I got the job that day. So I did have to break my contract with the ballet company. Um, yeah. So did you do I, a private audition or a group audition or the big, big one? The big replacement yeah. ones? Yeah. What a, what a yeah. change of world. You're in the same city, but totally different worlds. Yeah. Do you remember like what they gave you and what it was like? Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah. okay, what was your audition like and how were you dressed? Cause that's always the fun stories that no one was prepared for their first audition for how the rest of them were dressed. <laughs> so I had to borrow high heels, fishnets and a high cut leotard. Um, Cause I would not wear a bikini. Right. <laughs> and you probably weren't wearing uh, thongs in ballet. Nope. Nope. I, I was, I think that we had those briefs that we'd wear, wear under our tutus, kind of like we were personal G's, but that went over our tights, not under. <laughs> so, right. Right. <laughs> there's that. Um, yeah. So that was different. Um, so yeah, I went the next day, his wife helped me cause, um, she's this tiny, beautiful little Russian ballerina and she loved showgirl. She wished she could have been one, but she was like five foot two. She was tiny little girl. Mm. She never could have been one. Right. So she, she wanted to help me so much that she lent me one of her high cut leotards. Um, and I can't remember who lent me tights and she didn't have high heels, but they, I wore like one and a half inch character shoes, tan, somebody lent me their shoes. And, I went in there and I had my, you know, ballerina bun. I put a little bit of makeup on. So I had eyelashes, but they were like tiny. And I went in there and I did my stretches and warm up. I think, um, I don't remember that part. I do remember though, this gorgeous, tall, blonde, leggy woman walk across the stage and Fluff introduced her. This is Linda Green. She is our principal dancer. She will be teaching the audition combination today. And I was like, wow she's one of the principals. Look at her. She's amazing. She taught us white principal disco. And I don't know if you've heard about this number, but it, it is my, it was my favorite number to dance in the whole show. It is highly aerobic. It's only, I think two minutes long and it's high kick after high kick and you're moving so fast. Um, it's just, it just, it's, and it's fierce. You get to embody that fierceness and that, ah, uh, it's just, it's beautiful. And so I really had a hard time. Um, number one, I don't pick up jazz choreography very easily. Um, so I had a hard time picking the choreography up. And then the Jubilee stage has cracks all over because of the elevators. So there's right. like, you know, one and a half inch cracks that you have to watch out for. You don't break your ankle in an audition, you know? So it, it, that was interesting. Um, but somehow I managed to catch their eye. <laughs> Um, we did walks across the stage. We did a ballet combination, of course, that they always had to do that. Mm-hmm. But um, in that, that jazz combination, I didn't find out till later when I got into the show, uh, another former principal from the ballet company was a boy dancer. And he said, that was white principal disco. That's the hardest number in the entire show besides Gershwin. Uh. He said, that was the hardest choreography you could have been given. And you did amazing because he was there watching. He said, you did, yeah. you did great. And look, you're here. You have the job. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Did you, when you got it, did you have time to go, oh my gosh, I'm excited. Or like, uh oh, now I have to quit the ballet. Did you feel 
like ready to launch into that? Or did you have to do this kind of negotiating of now that that part of your life is done? Or were you just ready to jump into the feathers? I was ready to jump into the feathers. Um, they mm-hmm. literally called me down from the stage and had me go get fit, which is not normal for people. Oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. They introduced me to Don in London yeah. and they said, go get measured. That day. Oh my gosh. Everyone, okay, that else, says a lot. Yeah. Everyone else was like, we'll let you know in three weeks or whatever Fluff used to say. <laughs> wow. I've heard of people, like when you get hired on the spot, it's a big deal. And you think of how many thousands and thousands of dancers come through those shows. It's not, you know, like thing in the theater here, which is professional. You might have 50 people audition, but, and that's, you know, show runs for, for a little bit, but that thousands and thousands of people they see, I don't know how they don't just, you know, they have to keep that eye trained. Otherwise they're just like, eh, like they have, they know what they are looking for probably even more, more precise than if they just do this once in a while, they know what you have to be able to do, your stamina, your sparkle. And I think there are a lot of people I've heard that they took chances on because they could see the potential and, and some like, you know what, we don't know if that's going to come out. So let's not risk giving them a contract. Right. So again, I just want to say, wow, as everybody take a drink. Wow. The fact that, yeah, you got spit on the first one. Yeah. So you were just done with the ballet world. Did it feel, cause I know when you, when we did our cross one that like you really weren't loving that life. No. Did no. it feel kind of good to let it go? Or was it scary after that's everything you put all your passion and money and time and hard work into to just say done? You know, I don't even remember. Um, I do know that um, I was dating or almost married. No, I was engaged to the artistic director's son. So that worked out in a weird, <laughs> a weird way. Um, he let me out of my contract because he knew how miserable I was. He knew I was miserable. Like I took that third contract because I was, I didn't know what else to do. And I knew I was too tall. And I was just like, I'm, I just, I, I'm going to figure this out. I just didn't know. So I just like, I already know how to be a corps de ballet at Nevada Ballet Theater. So I'm just going to do it again. And um, so the opportunity that came up, I was just like, oh, let's try this. You know, it did, it did that cross my mind. Like, oh, well, maybe this is my way out. And so mm-hmm. there was some fear, um, backlash, because I don't remember if there was a, a financial out. He just let me out. He was just like, okay, just go. You're going to be happier there. And I was. Did you get any um, snobbery from the ballet world that you were leaving to be a showgirl? Or did you even look back? Did you just leave them in the dust? I didn't even look back, but none of them have reached out to say hello or anything. So it's, you know, I'm a sellout. That's fine if they think that, you know. (laughs) Now I have this amazing podcast and all these amazing costumes and all these beautiful connections with these with all of the, the bluebells, it's, it's like, you know, I'm actually glad maybe those, those connections with the ballet world weren't as deep as I'd hoped, you know? Yeah. Do you remember what it was like, like just coming in, meeting new people, learning a show and kind of, this is a different world than Russia. It's a different world than a ballet company. And also like some of the stuff, like even at the reunion, I feel like I'm back at 13 in junior high trying to figure out which table I'm supposed to sit at or, I feel like I'm still that socially awkward when I'm in a grown adult that can have conversations. But I feel like when you see, oh, these guys were friends there and like, oh, maybe, but it's like, you, you kind of have to renegotiate. Like you're not coming in as a ballerina, you're coming in as a showgirl and, and there's connections that are made, but it's also like this whole brand new world of beauty and excitement. And yeah. So what was that like? Even the rehearsal and getting in your dressing room? I'll tell a, a very embarrassing story. <laughs> we love those. First day of rehearsal. <laughs> her jubilee, I show up in the only dance shoes that I own, which are ballet shoes. 
and my line captain said, you cannot rehearse in those. This is a steel stage. And I was like, no one told me. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't say that. I was not snarky. I just was like, I'm, I didn't, I'm sorry. I didn't know. Everyone else was wearing tennis shoes. Everyone else in there for rehearsal, there was, um, let's see, two boys, two tall nudes. I don't think there were any short nudes and two bluebells, me and one other girl. So there were six of us. And I'm only in contact with two of those people. Like we're friends on Facebook. Uh-huh. Um, the rest of them I've lost, lost contact with. But the, my line captain, she was like, you cannot. The, the, and I can't remember what we ended up doing. I think they loaned me a pair of sneakers for uh, rehearsal. Or they, made, they were like, just, just do it barefoot. You'd be better off than with ballet shoes. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, and we learned, um, I believe we learned disco the first day. <laughs> they decided <laughs> to eat the frog because the disco choreography of all the lines is so strange. It is so not like your body wants to move, but I think it's the sexiest choreography in a weird way that was in Jubilee Um, because it wasn't um, in your face sexy. Like I'm going to thrust my, my crotch in your face kind of sexy. Like it was just like your bodies, your, our bodies were forced to make these shapes that accentuated like our hips and just, I love disco was my favorite number. So um, that it was just that embarrassing. It's a great start to your rehearsal. I know I've never told that story live. So you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> to a Thank live audience, that. to an audience. I've never told that story. Um, and so uh, that I was just so embarrassed because all of these other people I was with had been seasoned. They, you know, they'd been in the shows, you know, um, my good friend, Sarah, we weren't friends at the time, but she's very outgoing. And I was so like, ah, scared, you know, uh, she was like, Hey, what's your name? What, what's your background? Where are you from? And um, she had just come, come from the Lido in Paris. So she was, yeah, she was in um, uh, Panache or Saint Magique. I can't remember. It was one of the two. The, which is the one with the bunnies, the bunny ears? Oh, Chaps? that's more. It's more recent than than Panache. Yeah. Oh, okay. I think so because I think at least the pictures I've seen, I think it's more current. Maybe it was Bonaire then. It was. I yeah. That, was it bunnies? Maybe she was in that one. Yeah. So. Um, yeah, it was, you know, like when you're talking about going into a world you have no idea about and your line captain is like your, your guide. And um, my line captain was Linda Myatt and she was a doll, such a sweetheart. And she had so much patience for this weird little ballerina girl. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness I did have some jazz and tap training so I could pick up all of that choreography. It, it took me longer than yeah. all the other people because it had been years since I had to you know, pick up that kind of choreography. And uh, of course they started with disco, like I said, but um, you know, like, I think we just, and that's part of our confidence building as performers is that we get thrust into these crazy situations. They're not unsafe, but they can feel, they can make it, they can pull us back to any time that we felt unsafe as a child and just, you know, knock us off our, you know, you know, make us second guess ourselves and all that, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> well, I think even, I'm just thinking of people who got yelled at by Don Arden that you're fat, you're ugly, but I'm thinking, picturing you in Russia being told you're fat, like there's something like, please don't single me out. Please don't do this in front of everybody. Cause that's some of the horror stories that a full cast and have, have the, the director tell you your, whatever you, you know, and the things that you are horrifying to hear. But I feel like that's that 
however long that's been in us, like you're too much this, too much that, or you're not enough. It's like, please, please, please don't single me out. And I don't know if anybody else feels that anxiety, just even hearing that story of like, you know, I just, I don't want to make any mistakes because I feel like you had a gracious line captain. And, and if you weren't doing it in the beginning of a show when you had Don Arden, even though I know there's wonderful, sweet stories, there's so many of people just feeling like they could melt into a puddle on the stage of being singled out, which I think is most people's biggest fear. Oh yeah. Linda Maya has a heart of gold, that woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, all of the line captains, it was um, Linda Myatt and then Catherine Arnold with Short Bluebell and um, Tina Marshall. She was a tall nude line captain. And of course, Ken Dockendorf was still was the voice captain. So all of them together, they, they really were probably the best captains like to come into the show with because they were so understanding and so patient and, um, I, I think I remember Lindsay saying, you know, about her line captain was kind of like her guide into that world because a lot of, a lot of the girls that were original cast were brand new, fresh out of like, they had just finished school, finished their exams. And all of a sudden they're flying to Las Vegas to be in a Vegas show. So they kind of <laughs> went through what I went through, but you know, it's, I think it was a little different because they had Dawn there, first of all, second of all, the show wasn't set. I was just being taught a track to fill. It was yeah. already done. You know, the show had already been created. So I think they went through a lot more of that, like, holy crap, uh, what am I doing here? <laughs> you know, that, than I did. So, yeah. Do you remember your first show? And do you remember when you start? Okay, so I'm listening to this. I have a visual in my head of you feeling like your light got squished out of you. Yeah. Of like that that effervescent, that, that light you brought to everybody. But when you talk about your showgirl days in Jubilee, I'm just, I wonder if it's like a little spark is growing because even just talking about the audition, there's something like, did you feel that change in you when you, when that, and I know it's a lot of work for it to fully come back for whatever reasons it gets diminished, but did it feel like that was a place that that's even the reason you're doing a podcast and why being on that stage mattered in Paris. There's something of life-giving in those experiences. I'm just curious if you knew when that happened or if it was gradual or, you know, putting on your first costume or the first time feeling yourself on stage or being a lead. I don't remember the opening. I remember disco because I had a costume malfunction. Oh, did you? Oh, please tell. I will tell. (laughs) And you know, what's funny when I talked to Donna London, the wardrobe, head of wardrobe, she remembers my costume malfunction (laughs) because she got a note about it. Um, But, uh, yeah, I'll I'll tell you the story first, and then I'll I'll I'll. Uh, you go anywhere you want to go. I'm just so curious because you light up a little bit more with each of these. Yeah. So um, the first night, of course, there's so much energy because you're nervous and you don't want to mess up on stage. You want to do your best, you know. And so uh, I had all my costumes fit for me. I didn't have any um, adjustments that needed to be made that I remember. Uh, except this one. So opening number, flawless, went fine. I didn't feel like I messed up anything. And I was in the back row so I could watch everybody. (laughs) So that was awesome. But then I was in disco and you know, the bluebell hats are like three feet tall and they have all the yellow and white feathers. And then you have these cuffs with like six boas on the ends of each. And they weigh like, um, I think eight pounds each, the cuffs with all the the rhinestones and the fabric and the feathers, and they're huge. And all of the arm movements get those feathers moving. So um, 
we start disco and it's very high energy. I love this number. I'm smiling and performing. And as we're going, this vertical hat is sliding. <laughs> I swear it must've been like the tip, the, cause it, it had a, a peak, a widow's peak, um, uh, finish on the edge I don't know how you say it but um it got to probably like my nose and this whole thing was literally it's supposed You're to be in- vertical and it was completely horizontal uh, like a unicorn <laughs> and I got I got through the number I didn't run off stage I got through the number with that hat falling off my head oh and, my gosh yeah poor neck. Know, but that's the only costume malfunction that I remember that caused uh Donna to get a note and for me to have a special fitting for my hat oh. <laughs> And that was your first night? My very first show. Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'm very uh, much a stickler about costume malfunctions, uh, especially in burlesque, because I'm like, they're not necessary. You can have everything fit you properly and come off in burlesque. It's a striptease. So everything has to come off at the right time. You just have to make it so that it does that. So you have to pay attention to these details. So that was kind of my lesson. And that's probably why I'm such a stickler about costume malfunction. <laughs> You don't need to lose a wig ever on stage. You don't need to have your hat falling off ever, you know? So it's, um, that was the lesson I learned on that. Um, and it's just funny that Donna remembered that happening. <laughs> yeah. If you get it out of the way on your very first one, that's either going to make you more afraid or like, I am going to do everything I can to make sure this doesn't happen again. Yep. That was 20 years ago. That was March of 2000 when I started. And I talked to Donna a couple of weeks ago and she remembers that. <laughs> So, um, but the, uh, the growing of the light, the finding my, my light again, um, that, that's why I say I'm a professional performer. That's why I say I'm a performer. I have to light up somehow. And the stage was that safe space for me to do so Mm -hmm. and know how much it meant to me, um, until I started doing burlesque. I didn't know how much it is a part of me to light up. And um, so allow me to explain. <laughs> yes. Um, so I went, uh, I went into the show as a blue belt because I was terrified to be a topless dancer. I told them, they asked me when I came, they took me down from the audition. They said, will you go topless? I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm here for a covered position. <laughs> so they're like, okay, here we go. Um, so they, they tried, they were grooming me to be a principal. They, and everyone kept saying, you can't be a principal unless you go topless. So um, when they asked me to do bridesmaids, which when I was in the show was a topless number, um, I swung into that. So I was a, a swing. So if there was a girl out, I could do it. Um, and uh, that's how I got my taste of being a topless dancer. And then three months into the contract, one of the girls that came in with us, no called, no showed for three days, three or four days in a row. Yep. Cool. Uh, yep. Just stop showing up to work. Um, that's a $6,000 <laughs> out of your contract. Yeah, that was the out at the time. Um, so they asked me when they found out she wasn't coming back. Um, they asked me to be a tall nude because they had a girl that was not willing to go topless that that was next. She w- she used to be in the show as a short nude and she had a baby wasn't ready for the audition. She did a private audition. They said, we have a spot in the tall nude room if you want it. And so I went and then I went uh, from tall nude for the rest of that contract to short nude where I was a, a I became principal editor study. I started learning all of the numbers. And by four years later, I was a principal. I finally got there into the principal dressing room. Yay. Hey. Yeah. So that was my path. And, and as uh, you know, it's an art, like I said, 
learning, I have pictures of me um, and I'll share them with you. My first bluebell photo and my bevel is totally a ballet bevel. Like it's not even, <laughs> my knees turned out. It's just not a, a showgirl bevel. Um, I wish that I would have seen pictures earlier and been like, oh, we need to fix this. Why is everyone else's knee? Like they're, they're tight. Everything's closed in and it's very, very modest. No. <laughs> so um, I learned over those four years, like how to be a principal, how to, you know, to show up on that stage and own that stage. And, um, you know, I just shared at that special event I did, I shared my, my final principal audition video. And I still can't even believe that's me. I'm like, holy crap no wonder I got the job finally I owned that stage good for you oh my gosh yeah yeah well that's just beautiful to hear you even say that because I think that yeah to be able to proudly say I did that as opposed like well you know like I think that that should be more okay for people to celebrate when they nailed it and that they did well instead of like try to act like no it's okay or or I don't want to sound proud because I think hearing that emboldens other people to, to like God, of course, you work so hard. You have beautiful technique, of course. Yeah, um, I was trained as a young dancer to be humble. And um, since that time, <laughs> uh, I have learned that humility is actually taking care of other people's emotions and feelings about me. Yeah, it's, it's heavy. It's deep. I'm sorry, everyone. I don't want to offend anyone. No, that's so good because we play that game on ourselves and other people. So that's a yeah. good thing to like so, why people get so jealous when someone succeeds. Mm-hmm. And then you have to say, well, it's really, yeah. To, then you have to downplay your joy. Like when you get elevated to something, it's sad that you don't get to have people a lot of times go, oh my gosh, I want this for you. I'm so happy for you. I think what we rub people's success and then our own because like, okay, I'll just go in my closet and do my happy dance because I don't want to make anybody else feel bad. Yep. Yep. It's icky. It's icky. It's so, yeah. So that's why I'm hoping there's some young dancers listening to our podcasts that are hearing these things because I I think, um, you know, I read recently uh, something about JLo and I really look to her as kind of uh, inspiration because I remember watching her as a child. Um, I was, you know, probably, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, uh, on, um, the in living color. And she was one of the fly girls and Rosie, yes. the choreographer. And I knew that she went from there and she had a hard path, I'm sure till Selena and, you know, and watching her career just blow up. And I remember seeing a quote at, uh, about something like, you just have to own who you are. Don't ask for permission, mm. just own it and everything's going to open up. And so that's what I've been working on the last, I would say, eight years, uh, trying to, you know, find that light again, because I did find it on the Jubilee stage. And then I left there. You know, I I was a principal for only one year. I worked so hard to get there. And I was just like, this is all I wanted. And then I was like, huh, I think I'm done. It was the weirdest feeling. The weirdest feeling to be like, huh. I did it. All right, time to move on. It and you know, there's there's so much uh, more uh, that I have to unpack about that <laughs> in therapy, probably. But um, you know, and I I think that I had the intention of possibly going back. Fluff had you know gave me an open invitation if I ever wanted to come back. And um, three weeks after I left the show, I found out I was pregnant. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, I thought, and I had already, I had went to school, got my design degree. I had a, a design job that I was doing full-time. So I was doing full-time uh, nine to five job. It was actually 7.30 to 4.30 so that I could make it in time to go do the show. And then I did two shows for, oh, yeah, for six months. It was rough. Yeah. I was You're using the different, different and same parts of your brain, but having to switch gears and it's not normal hours of sleep when you're doing those shows, getting home so late. Yeah. It was tough. Oh. It was really tough. Even though like principal dancers, uh, they weren't on stage as much as the chorus. And so I had some reprieve there, you know, that I wasn't doing like the, um, like line four, which was the Ebony line. I think they had it the hardest because they were bluebells as well as they did like Gershwin at the end. You know, that was the highest energy number of the whole, you know, that was really hard choreography and you had, you had to have that energy going. So if I had to do that every night <laughs> and do a full-time job, like I think I would have died. <laughs> of, ex of, yeah. of ex Even though I was young, I was 20, 25 when I retired. <laughs> that just seems yeah. like so ridiculous now that I'm like looking at it like I had and even my um my dresser Angie she was like you have your whole life ahead of you why are you retiring now and I'm like it just feels right it's it feels like what I have to do and so when I found out I was pregnant I was like oh okay I this is right this is next this is the next thing and so then I completely took myself out of like any idea that I would ever dance again because I was trained, basically, you will either be a dancer or you'll be a mom. You can't have both. Even though a lot of my friends in the show were mothers. <laughs> I, yeah, I feel like I knew of a few, but I've heard like Jubilee. Was there like a, a, a lot? I mean, because people take a little bit of time, they come back. I, don't, I think I knew rumors of some. I don't know if I knew any, but I don't know. Yeah, so um, the, the girl that uh, couldn't make the audition that was able to come back as a bluebell, um, Kelly Ontiveros, she, uh, I think she only had her one daughter at the time, um, and she was able to come back. Uh, and then there was my friend, Sarah. Um, she wasn't a mom yet, but she, she kind of was like the mother figure to us, but she ended up leaving and then having babies. So she wasn't one, I guess. Um, Catherine, that's the one I was thinking of. Kat Reese, she, um, she had two babies and, uh, she came from the Lido and she, she kept, you know, she kept going. Uh, Patricia Rodriguez, who was all, uh, later became a principal. Um, she had her boy. So there were a few of us. There weren't a lot. Um, the singers, I think they all had children. Um, and like Samantha was the principal that left in order to, you know, have a vacant space. She left because she was pregnant. Yeah, so she didn't finish out her contract when she got pregnant. Um, so yeah, there were a few of us. Of course, the men, there were some dads, <laughs> you know? Yeah. They yeah. You know that didn't affect their body, but of course it affects their their time, you know? They're yeah. coming home at crazy hours and then the kids have to get up and go to school the next day. So, you know, that it, 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 it was difficult for the parents in the show. It wasn't easy, but, um, and thinking back now, my oldest, she was not a good sleeper. She hated sleeping. <laughs> she just wanted to live life and I, <laughs> making her take naps and, and sleeping at a decent hour. That was totally not okay with her. She wanted to live life and see everything. And so um, it was a lot of sleep deprivation. The, the first, um, let's see, five years of her life at least, because her little sister came three years later. So 
My teenagers. Oh my gosh. Imagine doing disco or one of those cardio, like with sleep deprivation and stages sets that move. It's like, you can't take a nap. You can't phone it in when it's that much on the line. Yeah, there's no phoning those things in, but um, I mean, you were in Hello Hollywood, Hello Hollywood, Hello. So you know how dangerous it was and you couldn't do those shows if you were that fatigued. It was dangerous. You could yeah. die. <laughs> you could die. You could die. You find that so when, knowing that. <laughs> you will pay for your funeral. Um, when you when you left it, and did you go into design, or did you take a break from work? So did you just like my dance thing is that's a different chapter. Yep, it was just it, a it was, chapter. Yeah. yeah. How long before you started to miss, or did you miss it, or was it just like no, that's just something I did. So that's an interesting story. Okay, so I have two, I, I had an astrology reading um, in 2003. And it, it was a friend of my mom's. She's known me since I was a little girl. She took, you know, adult tap class with my mom and everything. And um, she did this reading. And she she predicted I was going to get the, the principal contract. And she predicted lots of great things were going to happen that year. I also went through a divorce, which she didn't notice as something that was going to mess me up. It actually uplifted me. Like I was finding my light again that year, yeah. 2003. And um, so she did that in that reading, she told me, you have two parts of you that aren't being nurtured the same. She said, one of you is this cancer homemaker mother figure, because I'm a cancer. So my birthday is July 4th. And I'm a, I'm a homebody. I love you know, curling up and, and knitting. Like I'm knitting this crazy shrug and I love knitting. I love making things with my hands. I love baking with my girls. I love that, that kind of those nurture type of things mm. that we do. Yeah. There's also this, she called her the diva at the time. There's this diva. And right now you're feeding the diva and she is, she is taking the stage every night and she's in the spotlight and she's feeling amazing. But your Athena, your little mother side is not being nurtured right now. And if you don't figure out how to make these two work together, you are going to have a problem. And I was young and dumb and didn't think anything of it. And <laughs> fast forward to 2008 or nine when I had my second child and I hadn't done any performing. I didn't go to any shows. I wasn't in the entertainment world at all. I wasn't playing dress up. I wasn't wearing makeup. I didn't care how I looked. I wasn't wearing jewelry. I wasn't doing anything to feed myself or that diva side. And I had um, what I would call an identity crisis. Two thousand Between 2008 to 2012, it came to a head in 2012. But over that time, there was this growing void inside me. And I was just like, what is this? You can't fill it. You can't fill it with a vice. You can't fill it with anything like that. And I just, it got to a point where um, I ended up losing my design job. We, we were in Colorado by that point. I, I lost my design job. My marriage was falling apart. And um, pretty much all of my relationships were like, everything was just my life was falling apart as I knew it. And uh, so I was in therapy. I was doing yoga. Um, I went to this retreat. Zen Buddhist retreat up in Crestone, Colorado. Beautiful place. If anyone is looking for a retreat, it's a beautiful place to get away from the world. Um, they have their own farm. It's really cool. But um, I realized that I was not being true to myself. Even though I was being an amazing mom, I wasn't being true to that side of myself, the sparkly, I need the, the glamour and all of that. So 
um, I made some choices and I, I decided to separate from my husband and we did this separation and I was like, okay, this is actually working for me. I feel better about myself. I am independent and I don't feel codependent and all of that. I went to an event and I saw this woman do a burlesque act and I was, um, no, no, that, no, that was the second time I've seen burlesque. The first time I went with my friends to see a burlesque show, it was zombie burlesque. So <laughs> of all the things, this glamour queen to go see was zombie burlesque. And they're like eating their skin and like, uh, you know, there's a zombie burlesque in Seattle and there's one in, in Vegas too, but it's, it's very, um, horrific, but it's still the same um, thing. It's a striptease. And of course you see the boobs at the end. Um, I saw this show and I was like, I am getting back on that. I'm going to be on that stage. And so um, three months later to the day, <laughs> I was dancing on that stage on my audition show. Um, he, the way he did it, the producer was uh, owner of the club. He um, would let you perform on the stage as your audition if uh, he saw an audition video of some sort. So I had sent him an audition video of a burlesque act that I had created after doing this whole six week workshop to learn how to be a burlesque performer. So um, that's when I really lit the fire back in. That, mm. you know, that's when it started. Um, and that was in 2000, end of 2013. So by 2014, I was on that stage and I was uh, back on back on stage again. And uh, it was, thrilling yeah 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 um so i started doing the burlesque circuit and sending out videos video links now it's not vhs which is what i was sending out <laughs> for the ballet company i was sending out video links of my little burlesque acts and i was traveling to festivals and networking and meeting all of these people and um i did it for about five years and i got to a point where i was like this doesn't feel good anymore because it's it's it felt like i was being taken advantage of because i was paid pretty well to be a principal dancer you know to be a full-time dancer and burlesque does not pay very well and i have i've made all my costumes they're all swarovski crystals they're all ostrich feather boas, like all of these things, I do not spend five minutes in hot glue on. I am spending hours and days and it's, it just didn't feel like proper compensation. So yeah. uh, I kind of just stopped. I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. I don't have to do this anymore. And so I just, I left and that was in um, 2018 was my last show there. And um I've been really just examining how to share this light that's still there, you know, yeah. how to grow it. And so that's, that's kind of why the website, the podcast, like uh, all of the things that I do, I still make the costumes. There's no show to make them for, but I like playing dress up and yeah. I'm, you know, on my Patreon page, I share videos of me in costume telling stories about Jubilee and being a showgirl. And, you know, that's, still to me is performing and it 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 um what is the word it it hits the spot it um gosh what am I trying to say scratches the itch itch <laughs> like it's just uh, it's enough I'm not doing 13 shows a week I'm not even getting up on a stage but I am performing when I and Since I get your last so you said um I think it was for this last Patreon that they can watch you make a showgirl headpiece yeah. On your, I'm like, I want to, I can't be a patron just to see that. Cause I am a hot glue person, bur burn the fingers, 
crappy costumes. I have no patience. And I look at, I, you know, I look at what the work goes into at metal. I'm like, no, I could probably do that with a pipe cleaner. And I, was, <laughs> I have no patience. I am not a designer and I have so much respect for that, but I would be fascinated because I think it would almost be therapeutic because watching someone make people that do the ASMR, they watch videos of, and I feel like that would be therapeutic and encouraging and beautiful and performance art. Yeah. Uh, so tell about your, um, like the, the connection between your website, your Patreon and your podcast are all linked They're together. All... Yeah. So um, I started the Showgirls Life in uh, 2018 as a way to help performers. And I was focusing on burlesque performers because I wanted them to be better performers. Most of them have never been uh, on stage, on a real stage. Um, and so I was like, you know what? I have skills. I can teach them how to pin their wigs in so they don't fall off. I can teach them how to <laughs> make things so that they don't have costume malfunctions. I can teach them how to tuck in their fishnets so that they're not hanging out and you know looking sloppy. So I was like, this is what I can teach. And that's why I started um, the website. But then as I started doing it, I started realizing like, mm, they might not be my audience. <laughs> so um I started doing, at that time, I was still performing and all of my acts were shifting to showgirl acts. So my, the, and I tell people this, the difference between a showgirl and a burlesque performer is showgirls don't strip. They, we were never strippers. Um, there was one act in Jubilee where we took our pants off. They were tearaway pants, but <laughs> it wasn't about sex. It was about being silly and funny. And it wasn't like burlesquist, uh, burlesquist to, um, elicit that lustful response and so um most of my acts started turning more into just i was coming out with pasties because i couldn't be nibbled out so i'd come out with um, my big feather fans and i would do this beautiful glamorous act with feather fans that was not a tease it was mm. like i will hold these up uh, above my head within the first eight counts of the music and you will see my boobs and you can keep seeing my boobs because I'm just going to dance on the stage for you. And I will lay my heart on the stage. Oh. And um, I had to kind of ask permission to do that <laughs> because um, in burlesque um, I've seen enough burlesque shows to know that the, the, the big reveal is usually the boobs with the beautiful pasties on them. And it only lasts for about 10 seconds. It's usually the last maybe 30 seconds of the music that that reveal happens. And I'm like, mm. so I, I emailed the producer. I said, I have this beautiful feather fan dance I've, I've created. And, um, but I'm, I'm revealed the whole time. Is that okay? And he said, um, I'm sure the audience isn't going to care if they get to see your boobs more. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I'm doing it on Saturday, <laughs> you know? So that, that was kind of, uh, how I got permission. Um, he trusted me. He trusted my artistic vision. He knew anything I brought to the stage was high quality, which he, he wanted on his stages. Um, he just wasn't willing to pay for. Uh, so there's that, <laughs> but anyways. what's interesting when, when people talk about like being in like Jubilee or the big. Don Arden shows that when their family comes, they're kind of afraid for them to see them topless. And almost everybody says their family was three quarters of the way through the show before they realized that the girls are topless. <laughs> so it's not like the thing. So the fact that if you just like, here it is, then they can definitely, it's not the, the tease. It's like, you just get to watch the beauty of the performer without like, here it comes. Okay. Probably about another 40 seconds. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you know, it's coming, but there's, yeah, that's just interesting of that. It never was about the boobs. I mean, I've heard there's people that came like, that's what they're there for. And then they forgot all about that because they were caught up in the, the beauty of the dancers and the 
persona and the, and the costumes and the whole bit. But it's interesting that you know there's a reveal for burlesque. I don't want to take anything away from burlesque, but you kind of see where it's going. Right, right. You, 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 you know, got about seven more layers of clothing and then, yeah. <laughs> What's under that dress? <laughs> <laughs> I know it's already a, a bra and a G and it's going to come off in this order. I mean, if you've seen enough burlesque shows, you know what the formula is in every act generally has the same formula um even a reverse striptease which are fun to watch because uh i and i did one very very short um that's the one where i fell on not on stage but i back off over over the show yeah. um I did was, you love performing it did you feel like this was satisfying for a while like it, it like you said it would kind of scratch that itch but it felt i'm sure it felt different than being a principal but there's still the is it the costume the the lighting the the adoration or is it all the above what what that enticement is it's all of the above um i've narrowed it down since uh i stopped performing because i've actually had time to breathe because um when you're it's like it's like any hamster wheel any content you create um as a as a business uh owner you're going to create content for your uh for your people that are that want more of you and so when you're you get into the burlesque world all of a sudden all of these ideas for all these acts start coming at you and you're just like i gotta do this next act and then you're investing all of this money into costumes and time and renting a dance studio to go rehearse and, um it's it's just was this endless cycle and i didn't ever have a chance to stop and be like why the hell am i doing this really but why uh, am i doing this you know and so i had a chance to think about it and um I believe that going to burlesque was reopening the stage door for me, so to speak. Um, it was, you know, the stage beckoning me back. Um, but, um, gosh, sorry, I lost my train of thought because I had another thought. <sighs> sorry. sorry, I jumped Austin. on it. Choked on it. Um, the politics started to get to me um, in burlesque because in order to be the highest paid um, performer, you had to be a headliner. But in order to be a headliner, you had to compete and win titles. And so um, I did a, I, I applied to do the competition at one of the festivals of one of, he actually was a, a soloist in the ballet Trocadero. So he understands, you know, how you work your way up the ranks. And he told me, um, I asked him, I said, why didn't you guys let me compete? And he said, because there wouldn't have been a competition. So I couldn't compete because I'm too good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And that was extremely upsetting. I said, okay, this was my last festival. He said, ah, you'll be back, you'll be back. And I was like, nope. And that was in 2016. That was the last festival I performed in. Um, oh. I didn't do another festival after that. Because um, it's it's politics again. And I'm like, look, <laughs> I paid my dues. <laughs> but maybe yeah. in a different world, but clearly I have, you know, this going on. And so I just, um, that was another reason I left the burlesque world is the kind of the hypocrisy of it being an exclusive or an inclusive community. It's not, it's exclusive still just the way we showgirls were, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I, I want to hear, like I keep my, eye keeps going back to the feathers. That's the perfect frame for your face is those those pink and red feathers back there, like you're still in it. So can you tell a little bit about the feather parties? Because there's something that you're doing that you're still giving people like the space to experience that beauty. And it's still that light of you that's bringing this joy to people and this sparkle. Yeah. So um, let's see, 
I think I did my first one in 2018. It was May of 2018. At the time I was testing out different things. I was doing movement classes live, like with people, <laughs> like a dance class, uh, teaching people how to walk. Um, I was going to do some kick classes and some like just showgirl movement classes. And then I was going to do costuming classes. Um, so I put them out there on the Instagram and a former client, a design client, um, she's a business coach and she saw that I was doing showgirl classes and she, she contacted me. She was like, oh my God, I'm doing a retreat in Denver in May. Will you please come teach my ladies uh, a showgirl class? And I was like, holy crap. Yes. <laughs> and I'll bring costumes. We'll play dress up. It will be amazing. I had never done this before. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I was just like, I've done burlesque bachelorette parties where I teach them some bumps and grinds with boas. I can do a similar thing and teach them how to walk and stand and put on the costumes. So um, she's like, great. How much? I severely underpriced my, my right. service. Um, and uh, it, there was way more that went into it than I thought it would. But um, that was when I did the very first, what is now called my feathery revelry. Um, I called it the show, yeah, I called it the showgirl <laughs> experience at the time, but now I'm hearing that there's a showgirl boot camp. Oh, Mist and Get. Yeah, and Get does that. So it's a similar thing. Um, they come in and I teach them some showgirl history. I teach them um, how to put the showgirl makeup on, the lips and lashes, ladies, you know, we need that. And then I teach them um, uh, some, some of the movements, and then I teach them how to put these uh, crazy hats on that I've made. Um, and you know, how we do the wig cap, how we have to style our hair. If we have short hair, it would be a long hair. How are we going to make this thing stick to our head so we can go do a dance now, you know? So, um, while doing that, I didn't do full makeup for the, the first one. And I didn't do, um, a lot of movement cause it was in an Airbnb. It was very small area. We did some walking. I did teach them the showgirl walk. Um, it's still a little different from Don Arden walk, as you said, but, um, it's still, you know, you see the tush and the hips do the figure, yeah. right? And so at the end, all of these women were, they're all entrepreneurs. And they were like, holy crap, you need to do this. This is your thing. This is your business right here. This is, you're coaching people on confidence. You're teaching people to love their bodies. You're, and they listed off all of these benefits that I'm like, oh, I, I mean, maybe. So since that day, I've been trying to figure out, okay, like, how do I bring this to people? Who is going to want this? Who wants to pay to wear these beautiful costumes? Because I'm willing to show people to try these on. And so a few months later, I met a photographer and she, I was teaching a, a burlesque bachelorette party. And she's like, we need to work together. Let's do a retreat. So we put on a fake retreat for footage. We had a, one of her friends was a videographer uh, she's a photographer and I, I had a caterer. I brought in a caterer and my sister to help with the whole, you know, I have, at the time I had 12 full costumes, hats and bras and G's and body chains and all of like the bracelets and all of that stuff. I have less now because I've taken some apart to use feathers on different hats. So some of my costumes have gone to the, the, the refurbishment center. <laughs> 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 They're not in the graveyard. No, 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 no. Um, but we did this fake one. Um, I called it authentic and amplified because I believe that's what we tapped into as showgirls. We tapped into that inner feminine light and we brought that to the stage. And that's what 
Don Arden and, and Jerry Jackson, all of those, um, those producers and people, they were bringing that out of us to share. And that's, I think that is like the essence of the showgirl that we're bringing out. Um, and so uh, I did, we did this fake event. Um, it was on a snowstorm day. So half the people that we invited didn't come, <laughs> sadly, <sighs> but um, I made my caterer do it. And, uh, you know, I've gotten so, so many great um, responses about this, the event and, and what it's about, what it's really about. It's not just about playing dress up. It's about finding that inner light, that inner beauty and bringing it out. And just like we found out from the man himself, Pete Menifee, we were already beautiful. Costumes that, just, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. I feel like I'm 60 and learning this and that you're much younger, but I think, you know, if we can not wait to embrace it and go, Oh, I wish I'd known that. Or like, I, I, I feel like some of us, you get thrown into it and sometimes it's caught, like you're watching people that have it, but when you have someone actually like encourage it out. Cause like I've done some with my friend, Anne that we've got some costumes and it's funny to see, you know, people struggle with it. And by the end, their face changes, their posture changes. It's not just like, I feel pretty. Like I think there's empowerment, there's the confidence, the strength. It's so much more than just be pretty. And so to have a whole weekend of that instead of a two hour thing. I just think that that would be incredible because it takes a little bit to even figure out how to, you know, not have your hat fall up and to get to really, I think that's so beautiful. So it's called feather, feather. Feathery revelry. It's a mouthful. Oh my God. That's, but it's super clever, cleverly. Wow. That's not the word. <laughs> Featherly cleverly. Um, we, of course, I would love to talk forever. Um, I do want to say, I'm such a visual person. I'm picturing you in ballet with your light, kind of like a little Bunsen burner, like the little light, and it turns up. But then I'm picturing you, and I love that I finally put this together. I can't believe it took me so long, of picturing you in that class that Lindsay put together for us, the Lido, that Victoria taught, and Jane Sansby, thank them forever, because that was such an amazing experience. And then hearing your favorite piece was disco. When I picture you in my visual brain, I picture you, how beautiful you are, as a disco ball, doing that dance because it's like the way the light shines you're just like kind of throw it it lights up the whole room it's not just like when something blinds and everybody's like that's too much it feels like it was like you were just a sheer light in that class I know I was living like as I told you I had two hip replacements I it was so much fun but to see you were definitely look you had never stopped performing it looked like you probably just came from a, another show and just happened to grace us there for the um dance class but there was something of maybe that was your light just fully up like just fully the the burner had been turned up and the light was able to just sparkle that whole room I know I'm super cheesy in my um, imagery but that's what I picture in that class was just like I need to know her and then to find out I already talked to her about doing podcast makes this even more fun like I met the disco ball in Paris I met that light so what, so where you are now, if, if there's no more, you know, if you're not on stage again, it doesn't mean that part's gone because you're still using it. What is it now that you are connecting and kind of coming back to what it is doing the podcast? Because I feel like everyone I interview helps jog a little bar, bit of my memory. Like first I'm like, wait, what did backstage look like? And everybody's story makes me go, oh, I feel that. I remember it was like after the show to walk across the stage. I remember what it was like more in my memory and mine's a lot bigger gap than yours. Mm -hmm. But it feels like everyone's story is a gift that I feel like my light is also increasing. And if I never go on stage again, it's, it's the, I don't know, there's, there's part of us, I think all of us that tell our story to hear each one tell it part start to light up again. And we don't want to just go snuff out. 
because it doesn't mean you have to be on the stage to experience what you experience. It's already there. So what is it that in you that's like keeping that, that light and that flame? Um, so it's a matter of figuring out how I can bring it to the world without getting on stage and dancing. And that's kind of been, that, that was posed to me as a challenge by one of my friends. She's an energy healer. And we did some work last summer. And she said, you are not owning your power. You are such a powerful woman. And it is so upsetting to see someone so powerful diminish yourself. Yeah. And that was like a slap in the face. Like I, I consider myself a strong woman, but somehow I was letting this, the light leak out and I was mm -hmm. giving my power away to people. So she challenged me to be like, you need to figure out how you can tune into that, tap into it, however you want to say it to keep bringing that to the world because that's your gift. That's your power. It's not being a performer. That's your strength, mm. your power. It's sharing that light with the world in whatever way you choose. And so that's why I do what I do. I do the podcast. I do the weekly, um, I call it the Gazella Studio Live, and I'm creating a hat live. So there's a live stream. It's about 30 to 45 minutes. We've been doing 45 minutes lately because I get on a roll and I'm talking as I'm creating. So people can come watch me do that um, every Tuesday morning. Uh, you have to be a patron, <laughs> um, $5 a month, and you get to watch me create a showgirl hat from scratch. And the videos are on there forever for you to watch again. So I am giving away some trade secrets on how to make a showgirl hat. Too. <laughs> um, so there's that. But then I'm also, I do my story time. And since I did that special red carpet event on Friday, yes, I need to get out there more. I need to play dress up and do live streams, not even for any purpose. I was trying to help um, raise, help them raise money. I was really trying to make people aware like, hey, we'll do this dress up thing, but then go watch, go pay $10 and watch the thing. That was the whole point of that. But also to make people aware that, hey, I have this, this business, I guess I, I mean, I'm building, it's, um, you know, I'm, I decided to do Patreon because, um, you know, it's, you know, it's time consuming to do the interviews. It's time consuming. Well, to do the editing, it takes twice. Which I don't do. <laughs> it takes twice as long to edit a podcast as the, as the episode is. I've right. had four, four hour interviews. I've had to cut down to an hour. It's yeah. It's tough. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's how I've decided to share my light. And in the day to day, you know, I shop for shipped, uh, which is um, basically shopping at Target and uh, delivering groceries to people. And it's another way I entertain and share my light. And I try to be as uplifting and happy and just remind people, yep, we're all in this together. We are all in, in the shit storm right now, but we're all in this together. Together. And so let's, let's just all, you know, be happy and as happy as we can be right now, going through what we're going through. And um, I just keep trying to be that light and uh, whatever feels good to me that I'm actually giving and giving that was the thing about performing was it, it was an exchange. I gave mm. to the audience, the audience gave back to me and, and not every performer can do that, can allow the exchange to happen. Um, some people just give and they don't take yeah. my, my energy friend. She said she, she was a pianist and she could give, but she would be exhausted and she couldn't do anything for three or four days. She wasn't taking back to, it's an exchange and it's so sad that life um, theater is going to be the last to come back after this because yeah. we need it so much as performers, as, as audience members, we need that. 
it's connection. It's how we connect our lights. So mm. this <laughs> has been such a delight. I even said the word light and a delight. So yeah, I'm so glad to actually get to see your face and, and put all these pieces together that the reunion sparked both of our lights and how everybody I interviewed that was there, it brought something back up that needs to be like celebrated. And also I think it's bringing parts of us. We don't, as we're not growing old because, you know, our body's diminishing. It's just because we kind of forgot, like, what is it that we love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if I'm not going to be paid the Lido, unless they let my belly just hang over my G string, that that's not going to be an issue, <laughs> but there's other things. I was like, I feel like the podcast is a way to keep that. And it feels reciprocal, even though we're recording this now when you know, people are listening to it. And when they reflect back, like, Oh, this helped me remember parts of it. It does feel like that, that exchange. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to be following your Chris. So uh, as we leave your podcast is called showgirls life podcast you can find it on apple uh, Podcasts and spotify and i think i yeah there's probably a couple others but if you go to showgirls.life slash podcast you'll find all the episodes and show notes there and then your website and that's all linked together yes yeah so, okay, so girls.life that's my website and that's where you can and they could be a patreon and watch you do that and support yep support, support what you do support this the best job ever to keep you know, bringing the light to people. And like you said, we're, I think we're all growing it again together and it may not come back the way we remember it, but um, we are preserving that legacy. So, yeah. Athena, thank you so much. I'm so happy to call you a friend and that we can like have a similar thing, but so different and then celebrate. Um, Yeah. I want you to do so well (laughs) and see you thrive in this. Yeah. Yes. It's a beautiful thing, and I'm glad that we connected, and I am so happy to be on here. So now we got to do an interview where I interview you and ask you all my, my burning fan yes. girls. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I look forward to that. It'd be interesting to be on the other side of it, so that'll be yeah. fun. It'll be so, And just want to thank you to everybody who listens to this, because I know like we have some people that cross over, and I hope that like some of the people that listen to this will check out Athena's. But also, we just, it's so fun to know that you're all out there listening. And I feel it just kind of helps bring that, that community and connection back. So we want to thank the people that, that listen, too. Yes, thank you, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Thank you, Athena. Thank you. Bye. Bye.